today on The Matt Wall Show, the media frantically reports that trans activists are fleeing the country for fear of imaginary persecution. We're supposed to be upset about this, I guess, though I can't see why. Also, flights across the country are grounded as the FAA experiences a catastrophic failure of its computer systems, another major win for our historic transportation secretary. And the Biden administration has come up with another thing to ban, gas stoves. Apparently, they're killing you, your children, and the planet. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. The Daily Wire doubled in size during 2022, and that fast growth is not stopping as we head into 2023, and uh, we are hiring for several different roles already. If you need to hire for your business and you want an easier way to find qualified candidates, well, all you got to do is head to ZipRecruiter.com Walsh and try it for free. ZipRecruiter uses powerful technology to find the right candidates for your job. You see a candidate you like, well, you can easily send them a personal invite so they're more likely to apply. Their user-friendly dashboard makes it easy to filter, review, and rate your candidates all from one place. Let ZipRecruiter help you find the best people for all your roles. Four out of five employers who uh, post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. You can see for yourself, all you gotta do is go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh to try ZipRecruiter for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash W-A-L-S-H. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. At the beginning of last year, I predicted and promised that we would be launching a full-scale war on gender ideology. And now as we sit at the beginning of 2023, we can clearly see how effective the anti-gender ideology insurgency has been. Multiple states across the country, including here in Tennessee, are preparing to ring in the new year with legislation banning the sexual mutilation and sexual indoctrination of children. Soon, in, uh, in these states at least, things like gender transition surgeries for minors, also family-friendly quote-unquote drag shows will be a thing of the past. We have legislation dealing with both subjects in Tennessee, which I expect to pass quite easily. These laws, though, have set off a new wave of panic on the left. Hard to say that when they're always in a state of panic, but, uh, you know, it's been in, in increasing even more recently as the media and trans activists, a distinction without a difference, I realize, screech about the dangers that these legislative efforts pose. Here's NBC's Joe Yurkaba, they them, by the way, trying to explain the danger of these legislation. Uh, listen. We are only about a week into 2023, and across the country, people are already seeing a wave of anti-transgender legislation making its way into state houses across the country. More than two dozen bills looking to restrict trans health care access have already been introduced in 11 states so far this year. You see them here. In Texas, three separate bills would classify gender-affirming care for minors as child abuse, and then Oklahoma bill would ban gender-affirming care for anybody, anybody under the age of 26. I want to bring in NBC Out reporter Joe Yurkeba. So, Joe, talk about these new bills coming forward this year, who they're targeting, et cetera. Yeah, so many of these bills, like you mentioned, seek to restrict or ban access to gender-affirming health care completely, and that includes hormone therapy, puberty blockers, and surgery for anyone under 18. But some of them are taking it up a notch this year, like Oklahoma's, for example, which would bar that care for people up to 25 and would block coverage for that care under the state's Medicaid plan for anyone. Um, and then we have a bill in Texas that seeks to completely bar minors from attending drag performances in the state. So what we're seeing is really an escalation of, legis of, uh, of this legislation and protests on drag shows that we've seen over the last two years. You describe it as an escalation. Part of that is because we saw record anti-trans legislation last year um, and, you know, more last year than the year before, et cetera, et cetera. Um, talk about where the trend lines are going and what this means for people in the LGBTQ plus community. 
Yeah, well, advocates in Texas have told me that they expect things to get a lot worse before they get better. Um, and so even if these bills don't pass, they say they still have an impact. A recent national survey, for example, from the Trevor Project found that 85 percent of trans and non-binary youth across the country said debates on this legislation have negatively impacted their mental health. Well, no, that's not what's going on. The debates around the legislation have not negatively affected any child's mental health. Rather, the things that people like Joe Yerkeba, they, them, are telling children about the legislation are negatively affecting their mental health. These gender-confused and brainwashed kids are being told that bills which protect them from mutilation and sterilization and exploitation and indoctrination will somehow put their lives at risk. They are being told with a wink and a nudge that maybe they might even want to kill themselves because of it. The trans propagandists, because they're among the most evil people currently walking on the planet, tried to convince children, convince them to be afraid, afraid, confused, and suicidal. And that is indeed having an extremely deleterious impact on their mental health and their physical health and their spiritual health and, and their health in every other sense of the word. But it's not just trans indoctrinated youths who the media says are now living in fear. Trans adults are feeling so terrified and oppressed that, as Vice reports this week, they are now fleeing the country. There will soon be trans refugee camps in places like Canada, I guess, until the camps are all shut down because the workers at the camps all end up fired because they can't keep track of everybody's pronouns. Here's Vice. Reports, Rin Aziriel Wilgos, a 50-year-old transgender woman, has been rapidly researching ways to flee the United States. She's from the U.S., but with physical attacks against transgender and non-binary people on the rise and lawmakers targeting transgender people with increasingly draconian legislation that criminalizes their very existence, Wilgos is afraid. The national landscape accompanied by some of her own, and by the way, every time I say her or she, do the air quotes in your mind, but I'm, I'm just reading from the article. This is what it says. Her own personal experiences has made a future in the U.S. feel untenable for Wilgos. In March 2021, when Wilgos had just started her transition, she was traveling across the state for work when she decided to stop at a public bathroom. A man followed her inside and pushed her up against a wall. She told Vice News, I thought he was going to choke me to death. Now, we need to stop here for a moment. Um, first of all, Notice how this man just began his, quote, transition in 2021, and yet is already so persecuted, according to him, that he needs to leave the country. Also, as for the claim about the incident in the bathroom, it should be needless to say that anytime you hear anything like this from a trans activist, actually, anytime you hear them say anything at all about anything, you should be immediately skeptical, absent any additional evidence. In this case, we aren't told whether this alleged encounter with the man in the bathroom even had anything to do with the fact that Rin identifies as trans. The incident is mentioned extremely briefly with very few details, and then the story just like moves on. This is how it almost always works with claims of anti-trans violence. Very few details are provided. The story is always sketchy, but you're meant to just accept it as more proof of an, of an epidemic of anti-trans hate crimes even though there is no such epidemic to begin with. But back to the story. Today, she feels mostly safe in Fargo, North Dakota, where she lives, but she's careful in rural areas. And when she leaves the state, she often doesn't feel safe at all. Wilgo said, there's like 30 states right now I wouldn't even drive through. Her own experiences and the increasingly hostile national climate inspired Wilgo's to start Transport, a budding nonprofit that seeks to help trans people transition, navigate, uh, navigate bureaucratic mazes, 
and ultimately finance their journeys as they flee the country. Wilgos is considering claiming asylum in Iceland, a country she visited last summer and considers more accepting and safer than the U.S., and she felt like being trans was a non-issue there. Though there's currently a lack of clarity around whether it's even possible for transgender U.S. citizens to claim asylum elsewhere, and an expert told Vice News it's unlikely, the devolving situation in the U.S. has inspired people like Wilgos to try. So just to uh, be clear, trans activists now want to claim asylum in, in foreign countries. Okay, they want to be treated like a, like a defector fleeing North Korea. And of course, the difference, and it's a very subtle difference, but the difference is that the North Korean asylum seeker, if he's not given asylum and is sent back to North Korea, will almost certainly end up in a concentration camp where, he'll be, well, where he will be starved and beaten and tortured and killed. But what will happen to Rin Wilgos if he is not given asylum in Iceland? What awful, unspeakable fate awaits him back in the United States? What will happen to him? Well, literally nothing. Not a single thing. In fact, as a 50-year-old man who just decided about 85 seconds ago to become a woman, none of the laws being considered or passed in any state will have any measurable impact on him at all. He says he's terrified to even drive through a state like Tennessee as if we have anti-trans checkpoints set up you know, on the highway and any trans person we catch will be carted off to a forced labor camp. Now, that's the kind of picture they want you to have in your, your mind, but it's not actually what's happening. Instead, our laws, when they pass, will only prevent medical professionals from chopping the breasts off of teenage girls or sterilizing children or committing any similar act. So these are laws that don't restrict trans people at all, in fact. They restrict doctors and what doctors can do to people, because we are, you know, we, we take the controversial apparently position that doctors should not be able to just do whatever they want. There should be regulations and laws in place governing what they can do and what they can't do. And one of the things that they can't do or shouldn't be able to do is, um, is permanently, you know, and physically alter children before they are possibly able to consent to such a procedure. Now, if Rin is coming here to butcher children, then yes, he should be worried. Um, otherwise, perfectly safe. But he already knows that. I mean, they all do. What we're seeing from trans activists is one great pageant, a performance, where they pretend to be fearing for their lives from a threat that they have invented. I mean, in reality, the far-left trans activist poses a greater danger than he faces. He is not under threat. He is a threat. He pushes for the recruitment, indoctrination, and butchery of children. He poses a clear and present danger to, tilt to children. And he does this not because it will help the children. That's not why. That's not why. Rin, Wilgos, or whoever. Why does he feel so strongly about making sure that children are castrated and sterilized? Is it because he thinks it, it will actually help them? No. He doesn't care about them at all. But no, it's, it's the more people who are trans, the better he feels about himself. This is what trans activists do. And it's the trans activists who prowl about searching for people whose lives he can destroy for committing the sin of disagreeing with him. As far as that, go, this, th that goes, this week provides yet another chapter in that saga. The Postmillennial reports this. On Friday, the video game company Limited Run Games fired their community manager, a woman named Kara Lynn, 
after a far-left trans activist using the name Purple Tinker demanded that the company either fire Lynn because she followed conservative users on Twitter, such as Ian Miles Chong and libs of TikTok, or lose their support. Ian Miles Chong tweeted, a video game company called Limited Runs Games fired Carolyn because some nut job got offended over the fact that she follows me and lives a TikTok. According to an Observer article from 2012, Purple Tinker is a biological male who identifies as transgender and an activist who founded BronyCon, a convention for adult men who like to dress up as characters from the children's television show My Little Pony. Chong posted screenshots of Purple Tinker's now-deleted Twitter account. The community manager for Limited Run Games is a transphobe. This is what the, this is the tweet is a transphobe who follows a veritable who's who of right-wing transphobic creeps. Unless and until she is fired from the company permanently, I am not giving them another single dime. That's what Purple Tinker tweeted at the company on January 6th at 9.06 a.m. Now, at 5.40 p.m. the same day, on their Twitter account, Limited Run Games announced that Lynn had been fired and wrote, quote, LRG respects all personal opinions. However, we remain committed to supporting an inclusive culture. Upon investigating a situation, an employee was terminated. Our goal as a company is to continue to foster a positive and safe environment for everyone. So did they really fire an employee? By the way, within hours? So it's like almost immediately made the decision to get rid of this person because one creepy trans activist with a My Little Pony fetish complained about the account she follows on Twitter? Yes. That seems to be precisely what happened. And it is the sort of power trans activists wield in a country they pretend to be persecuted by. And they are among the only ones who have that kind of power. Where one of them can make a complaint about someone and say, I think that person should lose their job. Off with their head. They have upset me. And they get a response. So you or I could never do that. They whine about the dangers and the marginalization they face while at the same time using their vastly outsized political power to professionally and financially destroy anyone who defies them. And if they can't succeed in that regard, they will, as I've discovered, dox you, threaten to murder you and your family. And they do it all while refusing to relinquish their victim status. It's exactly the behavior you would expect from extreme narcissists who believe that the world exists for no other purpose than to affirm them. So in conclusion, that's all to say, if they really are leaving the country, then I guess all we should say in response is, okay, bye. Now let's get to our headlines. If you're looking to upgrade your style this year without breaking the bank, then check out True Classic Tees. For a limited time only, my audience can get 25% off True Classic Tees with code Walsh at trueclassic.com. I love my True Classic Tees. Unlike those, you know, generic brands, True Classic Tees fit a bit tighter around the chest and uh, in, in, the, in the sleeves, but they leave room in the torso for a relaxed t-shirt feel, which means that, you know, translation, if you have a big, fat beer gut, you could still look good in a True Classic tier. Tea. But True Classic is more than just a t-shirt company. They offer an active, uh, an entire activewear line, and they've just released new button-down shirts as well. You can build your entire wardrobe with True Classic. True Classic has a 100% risk-free guarantee with a 30-day return policy. With 200,000 five-star reviews, it's no wonder these shirts are quickly becoming a menswear go-to. 
Get 25% off at trueclassic.com with code Walsh today. That's 25% off with code Walsh at trueclassic.com. Free shipping is included with purchases over $100. First headlines from Daily Wire, breaking all flights across the U.S. grounded as FAA systems fail. Um, All flights across the United States were grounded Wednesday morning as the Federal Aviation Administration's notice to air missions system uh, failed Uh, That's NOTAM, I suppose, is the acronym. A NOTAM uh, may state abnormal status of the national uh, airspace system, including problems such as runway closures or general bird hazard warnings. That's what it's supposed to do. The FAA tweeted at 6.29 a.m. Eastern Time, the FAA is working to restore its notice to air mission system. We are performing final validation checks and reloading the systems now. Operations across the, the national airspace system are affected. We will provide frequent updates as we make progress. 28 minutes later, the FAA issued an update writing cleared update number two for all stakeholders. The FAA is still working to fully restore the notice to air mission system following an outage. Uh, while some functions are beginning to come back online, national airspace systems operations remain limited. And this continued for uh, several hours as as you know, every flight was grounded. It was a total mess at our airports. Every flight grounded. And in fact, I saw this firsthand, or I guess secondhand, because my my mother-in-law, as it happens, is trying to fly in to, you know, to to visit right now as we speak, which maybe makes me a little bit less upset about the problems. I might have actually sabotaged the system myself. I don't, that's a theory that you might have. You never know. But generally, it's been a disaster. And how did this happen? Well, Fox Business has more on that says the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration made the heavy decision Wednesday morning to ground all domestic flights amid a nationwide system failure, a system that is exceptionally not up to speed, according to one aviation expert. Kyle Bailey warned that the outage could cascade into cancellations and delays for days. Quote, the longer this goes on, there's going to be a ripple effect throughout the entire system. Unlike regional effects from, say, individual airlines, this is the entire system in the United States affecting basically every single aircraft departing. So the longer this goes on, it's just going to cascade into flight delays and cancellations, possibly for days. The uh, nationwide failure has caused the capacity of the FAA's outdated technology to be put under a microscope, with some critics arguing that the system is obviously behind. Fox Business host uh, Maria Bartiromo pointed out that the FAA systems have not been updated since 2015. Quote, it's government technology, so it's obviously behind the private sector, but this particular system is feeding data points from almost every single airport in the country, not just large airports, but small airports to realistically all around the world, in the airspace all around the world. So everything from a crane in the vicinity of an airport all the way up to, say, a volcanic eruption affecting airspace, so tremendous amounts of uh, data points coming into these systems from all over the world, and the systems are layered and antiquated. They're not up to speed. This, again, is the aviation expert. Not up to speed, the speed like the private sector would be. So private sectors like, say, SpaceX, uh, the FDA doesn't have analysts and engineers on the level um, and the capacity of the private sector, the FAA, not the FDA. So old, outdated systems causing major problems, uh, major catastrophe. So in summation, this is another Huge victory for our transportation department and its secretary, its historic secretary. Remember, it was historic when we, uh, when, when Pete Buttigieg was was given this role as secretary of the uh, the, the uh, uh, transportation department. But maybe it turns out that it's not a good idea to hire a transportation secretary based solely on the fact that he's a gay Democrat. That's the only reason he got the job. But no, let me back up for a minute. It's not just that. No, that's not fair. That's a, that's a straw man. That's not fair. I apologize for that. 
It is, it's, it's, uh, he was hired, he was given this position because he's a gay Democrat, but also he likes trains. So that was, that was another thing too. He did say that when he was asked why he got the job. He said he's always liked trains, you know? He was a Thomas the Tank Engine fan uh, as a child, as, as many of us were. And so he's got that. He's, he likes Thomas the Tank Engine. He still has Thomas the Tank Engine bedsheets, and he's a gay, gay Democrat, and that's why they gave him the job. Maybe that's not a good reason to give somebody a job like this, or in fact, to give them any job at all. It's not just that, though. There's, he got the job, despite not having any qualifications at all to speak of, that have anything to do with transportation. And his primary focus on the job has been social justice. That's what he's worried about. In fact, if you want to know why these uh, systems are still antiquated and outdated and they haven't been fixed and they haven't been updated in years and now they're failing and causing these cascading disastrous effects, well, if you want to know why that might be the case, um, all you got to do is look at what Pete Buttigieg and the, uh, uh, the Department of Transportation have been focused on, what they've been worried about. So at the beginning of last year, um, Pete Buttigieg put out uh, this big memo that you can go to transportation.gov and you can read it for yourself if you're interested. It's their equity action plan uh, for 2022. And this is what they're focused on. This is the summary of the equity action plan. The U.S. Department of Transportation is committed to pursuing a comprehensive approach to advancing equity for all. In response to Executive Order 13985, Advancing Racial Equity and Support for Underserved Communities Through the Federal Government, this equity action plan highlights key actions that uh, the U.S. Department of Transportation will undertake to expand access and opportunity to all communities while focusing on underserved, overburdened, and disadvantaged communities. The actions described here fall under four focus areas, wealth creation, power of community, interventions, and expanding access. Now, you notice there's nothing in here about like keeping planes in the sky. So we're not focused on that. We're not focused on air traffic control. You know, how about, a, how, about a, how about an action plan to make sure that planes can fly and they're not going to run into each other? So they're not going to actually accidentally, you know, uh, run into a flock of birds and end up in the Hudson again. How about an action plan for that? John Cardillo has uh, more on this equity action plan. He posted a, a screenshot to his Twitter page. Um, and this is more of what they were focused on. Uh, the budget requests an additional $20 million above the 2020-21 enacted level for the Office of the Secretary to lead uh, Department of Transportation's efforts to promote equity and inclusion. With these resources, the Department of Transportation would better ensure that historic investments under the bipartisan infrastructure law deliver resources and benefits equitably, including communities that have been historically underserved and adversely affected by persistent poverty or income inequality. Department of Transportation actions include workforce development, disadvantaged business enterprise procurement, data collection, reporting, public participation, and assistance measures in, uh, uh, mitigating or negating the effects of structural obstacles to building wealth. And this also is specifically about the FAA. The budget provides $15 billion in discretionary budget authority for the Federal Aviation Administration to improve aviation safety, transform the nation's aviation infrastructure, and improve cybersecurity. These investments also promote environmental justice and climate change mitigation by, prior, by, by prioritizing sustainable design and construction and enhancing equity through more inclusive contracting and workforce development. So <laughs> sometimes 
the best they can do is like, it starts okay. And so the second part of this starts okay. All right, so we're going to have something in the budget, discretionary budget, and it's going to give the FAA uh, an improved ability to focus on safety and uh, aviation infrastructure, improve cybersecurity. All that's good. That's what you should be doing. And then the very next sentence, it all falls apart. Because then they tell us, well, what do they mean by that? What they mean by that is we have to worry about environmental justice and, you know, in enhancing equity through more inclusive contracting and workforce development. This is uh, not what anyone needs the Department of Transportation to do. But, of course, the funny thing is that as, as all this was going on and you had people on social media that were uh, just... Um, uh, very, in a, in a, in a, in a, you know, ruthlessly blaming Pete Buttigieg for this. And it was very rude and it was just not, not a nice thing to do. And so you had defenders of Pete Buttigieg and you had leftists and Democrats that were saying, well, you can't blame him for this. This is not his fault. The exact same thing, we heard the exact same thing during the uh, supply chain crisis, which was going on while Pete Buttigieg was taking his six months of maternity leave or however long it was. And we heard the same thing. That, well, don't be absurd. It's not his fault. This had nothing, he had nothing to do with this. What do you expect him to do about this? Well, if that's true, like if everything I've said so far is not valid because actually this isn't Pete Buttigieg's fault and, and the Department of Transportation has nothing to do with this, if that's the case, then that would only prove that we don't need the Department of Transportation and we don't need Pete Buttigieg at all or his job at all. That this is, it's, it's, they're not doing any, if they don't have anything to do with a, a problem where, you know, it's the transportation department, and if they have nothing to do with a problem where every flight in the country is grounded, it, that you would think that's a major transportation issue. And if their hands are clean on that, that just tells you that they're not doing anything, that they serve no purpose at all. So either this is their fault or the department shouldn't exist. Or both. I like to go with both. It is their fault and it shouldn't exist. Partially because it is their fault. All right, speaking of other things that shouldn't exist in the government, um, here's a headline from Fox News. House Republicans to vote on a bill abolishing the IRS and eliminating the income tax. Republicans in the House of Representatives will vote on a bill that would abolish the Internal Revenue Service, eliminate the national income tax, and replace it with a national consumption tax. Fox News Digital has learned the House will be voting on Georgia Republican Representative Buddy Carter's reintroduced Fair Tax Act that aims to reel in the IRS and remove the national income tax, as well as other taxes, and replace them with a single consumption tax. The vote on the bill was made as part of the deal between House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and members of the House Freedom Caucus and was pushed forward in his quest for the gavel last week. Now, of course, needless to say, you know, abolishing the IRS and the income tax has zero chance of actually passing. Uh, it, it's not going to pass through the Senate. It would never be signed into law by Joe Biden. But it, it's, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't vote on it. And even if it won't pass, it still should. Like it's, it's, it's obvious. So we could talk about whether this could ever happen. But whether it should happen, like, of course it should. Of course we should get rid of the IRS and the income tax. What kind of a masochist, what kind of a, just a submissive, self-loathing masochist would you have to be 
to think that we shouldn't get rid of the IRS and the income tax. This abomination known as the IRS. Something that, by the way, obviously, uh, the, you know, the, the people that founded this country never had in mind. They never had this in mind. You know, of course they didn't. They famously had quite a problem with, with you know, the idea of being overtaxed, taxation without representation. So the idea of having this massive bureaucracy that that can tax us simply for living and for earning an income. And not only that, but they, they, you know, they have direct access to our finances and our bank accounts. And not only that, but they get to take our paychecks before we get our hands on them as part of the withholding system and take the part that they want and give us the rest, like giving us an allowance of our own income. It goes to them first and then us. This was never intended. Um, this and it is it is not compatible with like any notion of economic liberty, freedom. It's just not compatible with that. So clearly, it needs to go away. Now, I actually, if if I could snap my fingers and make this law a reality, and we would have the fair tax rather than the income tax, then I would I'd do that in a second. I would snap my fingers for that in a second. But I actually don't think. You know, I'm in favor of uh, of abolishing the IRS and not replacing it with the fair tax. I think we should we should just not replace it with anything. And the forty percent or so of uh, of revenue that the IRS generates or not generates uh, takes by force that forty percent of revenue should they should just, they could just do without it. Okay, they they would still have trillions to work with, and I think that they that that should be enough. Right. So they would have whatever it would be, two trillion rather than four trillion, and that should be enough. You, sh- you, sh- you should be able to run a government on a couple trillion bucks a year. That's my that's that's my uh, radical theory. Because the fair tax, the idea with the fair tax is we're going to get rid of the income tax, but make up for all of that quote unquote lost revenue with a consumption tax, which would be a national sales tax. And in order to make up for the quote unquote lost revenue. Uh, and I have to keep, keep putting air quotes around lost revenue because it's not really lost. It was never the government's revenue to begin with. It was never it never belonged to them. It's our money. But in order to make up for what is lost, um, it would have to be a significant national sales tax. And the, I'm not sure exactly what, with the latest proposal, what they would, you know, what they're proposing the national sales tax should be. But it's something like, like, like over 20%. It's a, a, an enormous sales tax. Again, still better than what we currently have. But almost anything's better than that. Obviously, this should this should uh, this should happen. It won't happen, but obviously, it should, and we should all support it happening. Again, there's no point if you pretend to believe in anything like economic freedom. If you've ever talked about that or pretended to believe in that, well, that is impossible as long as the IRS still exists. Neil deGrasse Tyson was on a podcast, uh, I'm not sure which podcast this was, but he was asked about the safety of the vaccines. And I thought that this exchange was quite revealing. So we'll watch a little bit of this. Here it is. Oh, your own body. Your own body. If you want to get an abortion, get an abortion. If I want Mm -hmm. to get the vaccine, I get to choose. So you can't force, if if I can't force you to get an abortion, you shouldn't be able to force me to get the- Because it's not about you. It's about people you interact with. And that's the social contract 
of public but we health. Don't, we don't even know if the vaccine worked or not at the time. Yes, that's what the trials are. Dude, that's why these trials... What, you, are you missing data out but, there? But let me ask you a question. Are we saying only one type of scientists are right? No, we're saying that the system in place... The 16,000 that signed that... No, no, no. The, the system in place to test vaccines... Yeah. There's an entire system that's in place that that with review boards and all of it, yeah, the average that's in place. Now, you can say you can what you can say is I, I have a better idea than all these review boards and all these agencies and the CDC. I have a better idea. Here's what you should do. And that would have made everything better. OK, you can put forth that idea. But what I'm saying is in a case where you can contaminate someone else, it's not about you. It's about the collective You're assuming. health. You're assuming. You're assuming because somebody can take the vaccine, uh, won't get COVID, which, by the way, I don't need to play the clips for you to see it where everybody said, hey, if you get it, you're not going to get If you take the vaccine, you're not going to get it. Rachel Maddow, Joe Biden. I can give you Fauci. I can give you fit. And you've seen these clips before. It's not like you've never seen it before. Yeah, yeah. What happened they was, were wrong. Hold on. So, so um, the strain evolved. Uh, it evolved. So that was great. You know, it, he, he had two minutes there. Fair questions. And, and the first thing to always notice, and we saw the same thing with Fauci, just uh, the clip we played a couple, yesterday, a couple days ago. Um, as always, they, they, get, they get very upset when you even ask questions. And, you're, and like, they say, trust the science, listen to the experts. And then when you get one of the alleged experts into the room and you say, okay, well, all right, can I... You say you're the expert. Let's talk about this. I have some questions. I would like to get an answer to the questions. You're the person I'm supposed to be asking, right? But then when you do that, they get very upset. Uh, they, they immediately feel attacked. And that, and that right there, major red flag. You know, if, if just basic, uh, straightforward questions get that kind of angry and flustered response, then that tells you the person you're talking to, they, at some level, they know that what they're defending is indefensible. Of course, this was, this was what, what is a woman was all about, right? That was my experience. It's always been my experience talking about gender ideology. Sit in, take one of the, well, they, they say, well, listen to the experts on that. You're not a scientist. You're not a college professor. Okay, well, let me sit down with one of the, one of the self-proclaimed experts and ask them some basic questions about this thing, and they get very upset. Same thing here with the, with the, uh, with the vaccine. The most we get from Neil deGrasse Tyson is that, uh, well, there were systems in place. And the thing about the systems that were in place is that they were in place and they were systems. What more do you need? Just rattling off kind of the bureaucracy that exists, citing the bureaucracy as, as proof in itself that whatever the bureaucracy did was valid or good. So well, there's review boards and there's this and there's that and they're checking and they're that. So are you suggesting that we wouldn't trust all these boards and committees? There are boards and committees and they sat and they had meetings and they agreed on things. Yeah, and they could be wrong. Maybe they're not wrong. Tell me why they're not wrong. Give me the evidence that they're not wrong. Can you do that? But the most frustrating thing, and again, another thing we always hear from these people, those who want to defend, not just the vaccine, but defending, still defending the government, the system's response to COVID, um, 
the, the, the kind of, uh, you know, revisionist history that they're doing now is they're saying, well, no one ever suggested a better option. If you, if you had a better idea, why didn't you say it? What are you talking about? There were many people suggesting other ways to approach COVID. There were many proposals put on the table. But they were never even considered. Any proposal that was not shut everything down, put masks on everyone, and put a, and put a needle in their arm. Any, any proposal outside of those three things was not considered. Not only was it not considered, but for a period of time there, if you, you would be kicked off of social media if you even suggested it. There were many other proposals. They shout down the other proposals, the other ideas, and then a couple years later, they say, well, no one ever had any other ideas. I didn't hear anybody say any, anything else. Well, you didn't hear them because you were closing your ears and screaming every time they opened their mouths. That's why you didn't hear it. Well, here's some more good science. Ellen DeGeneres has uh, some thoughts. You know, she got, she, uh, her show is over now and she kind of left in disgrace. And uh, now she is, I think she's looking for what's the next stage in her career. And her next stage is uh, as kind of a, a shaman, a witch doctor doing a rain dance. So here she is uh, with some scientific thoughts on the rain and the flooding issues in California. Listen. Well, that was a good clip for me to play. That's, that's why I never w- listen to clips before I play them because you, you can't understand anything she said. But what she did say at the end there, the point was, she said that uh, Mother Nature is angry at us. She's standing next to this flooding river and uh, and she says, Mother Nature is angry at us and we need to be nicer to Mother Nature so that she's not angry. We, we're, we're, Mother Nature is punishing us. Now, the climate change alarmists, the environmentalists have been speaking this way about the issue for a long time. Think about Mother Nature, and we've made her angry, and she's punishing us. And I think for a while, people assumed that they were being, uh, this was kind of poetic language, you know, they're being metaphorical. So people assumed. But that was not a valid assumption, because they mean it quite literally. This is, this is, a, this is religion right here. This is superstition. This is, this is what we have to, to, to wrap our minds around. This is actually what they think. So this is like, a, we are going full circle back to primitive paganism. You know, we're going back to the year 600 AD, or BC even. With this uh, paganism that, uh, you know, the earth gets angry at us when we mistreat it, and then it punishes us. Again, it's not metaphor. It is is literal. That's really what they believe. 
Uh, here's a clip that's a little bit easier to understand, I think. And I want to play one more before we get to the comment section. Uh, Stacey Abrams was interviewed by Drew Barrymore, uh, who has, a, I suppose, a talk show or something like that. And uh, she recounted this story um, of uh, that's probably entirely invented, but still funny and ironic in its own right. So the story about kind of her origin story about um, being, you know, dumped and dissed by a man and how that fueled her moving forward. Uh, listen to this. So when I was in college, I fell in love with a boy who was mean to me. Um, oh, God. Up, yeah, yeah. You know what? We've all done that. Yeah. Well, he broke up with me and he said that I was too ambitious and wanted too many things and I would end up alone and lonely. Uh, and so I got really mad. And then I was like, fine, I'm going to figure out all the things I'm going to do to make him rue the day that he was mean to me. And so I, this was now, I'm old, I'm 49. So I'm maybe 48. We're right next to each other. So you'll appreciate this. This was before Excel. This is when it was Lotus 1, 2, 3. Right, okay. And you had to go to the computer lab because owning a computer meant that you could buy the world. Right. I went to the computer lab at Spelman and I did a spreadsheet and I laid out all the things I was going to accomplish and all the ways I was going to just be fantastic and magnificent. And I don't know if he's ever going to see it, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay on my spreadsheet. <laughs> I, I don't know where to begin with this. First of all, look how into it Drew Barrymore is. She is, she is just, she is wrapped up in this almost certainly made-up story. That, by the way, if it's true, I'm doing Stacey Abrams a favor here. I'm cutting her some slack. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt that she's just making that up to give herself an interesting story to tell. That's not all that interesting. And even making it up, she can't. She's like, I, I fell in love with a boy who was uh, mean to me. Drew Barrymore, oh my God, mean to you. Oh no. But if the story is true, this is psychotic, pathetic behavior. So you, you, you set up a spreadsheet that you still apparently refer to because there was one kid like two decades ago who didn't want to go out with you. I mean, there were a lot more than there's a lot more than one person who didn't want to go out with you, but it's like this one person. And, and so and so you have been driven. This is what like the feminists, they think that this is inspiring. So they make, you make up a story in which she is driven by spite because there was one kid who didn't want to go out with her. Did he have to go out with you? Like, was he not allowed to say no? No means no, Stacey Abrams. But the greatest thing of all is that apparently this guy said that you're going to be lonely and alone. And, and he was right. Because that's exactly what happened. Usually when you tell a story like this, I, I, tried, I fell in love with this person and they said that I was going to be lonely and alone. That's when you follow up by saying, and I showed him, I'm happily married, I have four kids. I'm, but that's not the case for her. She's not married, she's childless. And she is most famous for losing elections. One, that's all she's done. Childless alone, and her whole career has just been losing things. And so I, I, that guy, if he exists, not only right, but he, uh, we could say we really, he, he dodged a bullet too. So well done to that young man. Let's get to the comment section. Who makes a Twitter mob fly off the handle with rage? Who's to blame? It's a sweet baby gang. 
Seth says, Matt, after your discussions about masculinity these past few days, I'm wondering what you think about men who go to the gym and make that their entire personalities. I agree that men should be physically fit, but are we putting too much emphasis on it and allowing that to become our entire vision of what masculinity is? Uh probably there's an element of that going on. I mean, it's good to go to the gym. You should, you should go to the gym. You should be physically fit. Um, there, there's, there's, in, in some cases, there are, you do see this some places on the right where that's like the whole ideology is just get physically fit, be, fi- be financially successful. Like that's, that's it. And that's, and that's, that's, you know, conservatism. Uh, so Rabbi Mari wrote a, uh, a, uh, an article about this, and he called. I'm trying to remember what he called. It. He called it lifestyle rightism, is what he called it, and uh, and I think that's a sort of a good way of putting it, where it's you know your ideology is contained entirely in your lifestyle, and when of course it should be about more than that, but that is an element. It's just it's an element, but it, it just can't be everything. Um, all right. Another comment says Matt emphasizes how people can no longer trust medical establishments. True. And that's the problem with nutrition slash healthy eating. Few doctors even understand what a good diet is. You'll hear plant-based, low-fat, lots of fruits and veggies, etc. I went keto years ago, lost 30-plus pounds, never gained it back. Point is, it's not just common sense what healthy eating entails. There's massive confusion, disagreement. Agreed. Agreed. Parents who feed their kids crap, processed food, are guilty. Uh, I, I would amend your statement to say that it, it's eating healthy is not complicated, but it's been made complicated. We make it seem more complicated than it is. And part of that is because of all these different fad diets and everything else. And you've got, you have some people doing keto. You've got the people that are like, well, you should only eat raw meat that you, in a, you should only eat shirtless while you're, you know, you should be shirtless in a forest eating raw meat with a machete. That should be your diet. Like there's that, um, all these different things making it seem more complicated than it is, but it actually is not that complicated. Okay. I don't follow any of these fad diets. I don't even, I don't eat, like, I don't even know what gluten is. Okay. But, um, I am able to eat relatively in a relatively healthy way. I'm able to not become morbidly obese. And because it's pretty obvious, like just, just don't portion control is a big thing. Okay. Don't eat, eat until you're satisfied, but not until like everyone, I think everyone kind of knows where that level is where you could stop eating, but a lot of times you'll continue eating be- just because you're like recreational. Don't, don't engage in recreational eating. Uh, obviously, don't eat, eat things with a lot of processed sugar. Cut down seriously on fast food. You know, all that kind of stuff. Like it's, it's all, it is actually pretty obvious. Make sure you're getting plenty of fruits and vegetables. I, I think it is, it is pretty self-evident. Now, and that's just be a basically healthy person. If you want to be a bodybuilder or something like that, then that's when you got to, you know, if you're a cross-country runner, well, in that case, I think you can basically eat whatever you want because you're burning so many calories. But, you know, if you're, if you're an athlete or something, then it makes sense to pay, to be, to take, to take, pay more specific attention to your diet. But I think for most people, it's just about portion control, get some fruits and vegetables, don't eat, cut out the fried food, cut out the fast food. You know, don't eat too many snacks. Don't go to the fridge and stand at the fridge at midnight just like gorging yourself, which I am guilty of doing plenty, but I realize that that is an unhealthy thing to do. All right. John Curtin says, your comment 
they've been they've been to medical school, so they know what they know why people get fat. I'm afraid that isn't the case. My wife is a doctor, and in all her years of medical school, she studied what you can learn from a couple hours of Googling with regards to nutrition. It's one of the problems the medical profession has. That's a, an interesting note. Cameron says, I actually agree with the medical industry actually starting to address obesity and childhood obesity instead of going along with the woke, everybody is beautiful and healthy mantra. However, their prescription is wrong. We need to return to the physical fitness standards in schools of the past. Diet and exercise need to be pushed hard, not resorting to surgery and drugs in children. Yeah, you're right that it, they're correct to treat obesity as a problem, but as you point out, their prescription, it's not just wrong, it's like horrifically off base. And it, and it's a, it is a prescription that causes more problems than it solves. Um, that, that's the issue. And, and even still, it's not like the medical establishment, this is part of the, the contradiction, is that, yeah, they're talking now about prescribing drugs to kids for obesity and getting surgeries and all the rest of it. But they also haven't completely abandoned the whole body positivity thing. They can never completely abandon that because the medical industry is captured by the far left. That's part of the far left religion, which means they can never give up on it entirely. Mike says, you're totally right about the pit bulls. Just a couple weeks ago, I was attacked while delivering a pizza and I was fortunate enough to deflect the bites with the pizza bag. Otherwise, I would have been mauled. Owner just stood there like a deer in the headlights. Thank you for bringing, atten- bringing attention to this. Doesn't surprise me to hear that the owner was standing there shocked and confused because that's the way it so often goes. Now, yes, there are pit bulls that are used in fighting and dog fighting and all the rest of it, where obviously the owner knows the dog is aggressive and dangerous, that the owner wants the dog to be aggressive and dangerous. There are also pit bulls that are abused just like any other animal. All of that is true, but... In a great number of these attacks and maulings that happen, you hear from the owner that they were shocked and surprised, and he was such a good little puppy, and we never had an issue with him, and he's so nice to the kids, and he's so nice. It's, you know, that is very often the case, which tells you that all these other pit bull owners who say that, no, it's all the owner's fault. I treat my pit bull very well, and so he would never do that. Yeah, well, that's what they all say. That's what almost all of them say anyway. But dog is an animal at the end of the day, and something can just snap, and instincts kick in. That's what happens with animals. It's uh, so. Although the owners are surprised, there's really no cause for being surprised. It is a vicious, um, instinctive animal that is acting like it. Well, another year, another cartoon rendition of my bearded infant self emblazoned on a piece of merchandise for your personal enjoyment. You can ring in 2023 with the latest installment of my patch program, the Sweet Baby New Year Patch. A new year means a new opportunity to collect yet another prized possession featuring my beloved icon and prove your level of fealty to the gang by fastening it to your clothing, your skin even, or otherwise. Head over to uh, my swag shack at dailywire.com shop today to get yours. Also, in 2022, you know, we launched Jeremy's Razors as a joke, but it was an important joke. Now, just nine months and 15 premium products later, we've amassed the largest social media following of any brand in the category. We've taken over $10 million away from so-called men's grooming companies that despise masculinity, but that was just the beginning. This year, we've got even more great products and woke scorching endeavors in store. So skip the resolutions and join the revolution. Together, we'll upend the woke economy and finally give conservatives a return on their value 
uh, and their values. Uh, are you ready this year to actually make that change? Well, if you are, then pick up Jeremy's razors and their hair, skin, beard, and body care products today by going to dailywire.com Walsh. That's dailywire.com Walsh. Now it's time for our daily cancellation. It often comes as a surprise to people when I tell them that I do the majority of the cooking in my house. Now, do I cook because I want to challenge gender stereotypes, or do I cook because I'm a sexist and I believe that men make better chefs, or do I cook simply because I enjoy it and I'm good at it? Theories abound, but nobody can say for sure. Whatever the reason for my cooking, it is partly because uh, I cook so much that, that I reacted with special horror and took it personally when I read the news this week that the Biden administration wants to confiscate my gas stove and yours, everyone's. The New York Post reports, quote, the Biden administration is considering a nationwide ban on gas stoves, citing the harmful pollutants released by the appliances, according to a report. The Consumer Product Safety Commission is mulling the action after recent studies showed emissions from the devices can cause health and respiratory problems. Um, this is a hidden hazard, CPSC Commissioner Richard Trumka Jr. told the outlet. Any option is on the table. Products that can't be made safe can be banned. Reports by the groups, uh, by groups including the American Chemical Society and New York University Law School's Institute for Policy Integrity found that gas stoves, which are used in 40% of U.S. homes while the remainder use various forms of electric cookers, emit pollutants like nitrogen dioxide, carbon monoxide, and fine matter at levels deemed unsafe by the Environmental Protection Agency and the World Health Organization. The studies also link gas stoves to respiratory illness, cardiovascular problems, cancer, and other health conditions. More than 12% of childhood asthma cases can be attributed to gas stoves, according to a report published last month by the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. Not only that, by the way, but AOC, who predictably jumped on the anti-gas stove bandwagon, tweeted that gas stoves, along with giving you cancer and asthma and destroying the planet, can also cause brain damage. And gas stoves aren't the only appliances on the chopping block. States like California and New York have already moved to ban uh, gas heaters. Like anything run on gas must be prohibited, apparently starting with the stoves, is what we're being told. Yes, people have been cooking with gas since the 1820s. You may have grown up in houses that only ever had gas stoves. Millions and millions of people have been using gas stoves for decade upon decade without any issue. But now, suddenly, it's a crisis. And people who never mentioned the crisis before, people who never said anything about the fact that gas stoves are giving us tumors and destroying our brains, are all quite certain now that it is happening. And they insist that drastic action be taken in response. Now, none of us from gas stove households ever noticed people being struck down with cancer or losing their minds because of the stove. Everything seemed to be working just fine. There didn't appear to be any issue at all. But there is an issue, it turns out, a very big issue, a deadly issue. People are dying. They are dying. And so we must consent to whatever exorbitant measures the powers that be prescribe. Or not. Here's why, just to summarize, here's why I will not consent to this war on gas stoves. And they will have to pry my gas stove from my cold, dead hands, or warm hands, as the case may be. First, there is no compelling evidence for any of the claims they are now making. What they have are a handful of studies funded, you know, usually by activist groups speculating that gas stoves may have some link, maybe, to some health problems, possibly, perhaps, in theory. Of course, you could conduct a study finding a theoretical link between literally any object or food or activity and any health problem. This is 
easy to do if you set out with the intention of finding the link. Second, a big part of the concern is about the supposed environmental danger. CBS News reported recently, gas stoves are contributing more to global warming than previously thought because they constantly leak small amounts of methane even while they're off, a new study has found. The same study also found that home stoves can emit high levels of nitrogen oxides, uh, raising concerns about health and indoor air quality. Even when they are not running, U.S. gas stoves are putting 2.6 million tons of methane in carbon dioxide equivalent units into the air each year, a team of California researchers found in a study published Thursday in the journal Environmental Science and Technology. That's equivalent to the annual amount of greenhouse gases from 500,000 cars, or what the U.S. puts into the air every three and a half hours. Yes, you're not only killing your children with the gas stove, you're also killing the polar bears and the entire planet with it. But what is the plan here? Okay, if we're supposed to believe that fossil fuels are destroying the planet, what happens when we get rid of the gas stoves and we convert 40 million households over to electric all at once and have increased our electricity usage by that much? Electricity is largely generated by fossil fuels also. So even by the environmentalist's own logic, aren't you simply shifting the problem, not solving it? Third point, gas stoves work. They just simply work. They work far better than electric stoves. Uh, they cook more evenly and efficiently. They can be controlled more precisely. An electric stove is fine for like heating up a can of soup or maybe even, fry, maybe even frying an egg. I wouldn't try to scramble an egg on an electric stove, but you can at least fry one maybe. But that's the extent of its abilities. Most real cooking requires careful temperature control, something that isn't possible on an electric stove. Not only that, but electric stoves are harder to clean. They're more expensive to operate over the course of a year. So this is yet another example of leftist bureaucrats wanting to take something away that is more affordable and more functional, and which has been working fine for millions of people for many years. And they want to do that in favor of something crappier and more expensive. And they do all of this based on flimsy cherry-picked data compiled by activists who almost always stand to profit somehow from the change they're advocating. This is what left-wing bureaucrats do. They themselves are inefficient and useless, and so they instinctively hate anything that is efficient and useful. They basically want every aspect of our lives to be as haphazard and dysfunctional as the agencies they run. That's, that's essentially the, the uh, goal here. Fourth, finally, as always, there is the hypocrisy factor. AOC has, uh, has uh, you know, she, she's saying now that, that gas stoves cause brain damage, and yet she has taken Instagram videos in her kitchen where you can clearly see the gas stove in the background, which, come to think of it, may actually lend some credence to the theory that gas stoves cause brain damage. I mean, it would explain a lot in her case. Anyway, Jill Biden was also photographed in her own kitchen in 2020 with a gas stove. And of course, these people all have gas stoves. Gas stoves are better, and the elites obviously prefer the better thing over the inferior thing. They just don't want you to have it. You can make do with your electric stove, you peon. Besides, you're supposed to be eating bugs anyway. You don't need a stove for that. That's the attitude. Which is why we must respond, no, I will not eat the bugs. I will not live in the pod. I will not overcook my chicken stir fry on an incompetent electric stove. I won't do it. Instead, I will say to those who wage war on the gas stove, you are all canceled. And that'll do it for this portion of the show as we move over to the members block. Hope to see you there. If not, talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.